Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. So let me just go ahead and say thank you. Oh, this is hour two of Mornings with Carmen. Let me go ahead and say thank you to those of you on the text line this morning. You can text me at 877-933-2484. Lori has um, now offered up the the answer to the question, um, Paul, about the cannoli dip. Yeah, I was wondering about that. I so saw here's that. what I think is happening. I think that they are making cannolis that are not filled and oh. then they are dipping them. That's Ooh. what this sounds like to me because she says that the dip includes ricotta cheese, mascarpone, confection sugar, mini chocolate chips, and Ooh. then cookies for dipping. So, see, I think they're not actually making cannolis. I think they're making the stuff that you would normally get in a cannoli, and they're serving it with something to dip so that, you know, it can be like on the dip chip and dip buffet. Oh, it's like the sweet item on the chip and dip buffet tomorrow, I think. So going to need the stretchy pants tomorrow. I, I know. You. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Go ahead and, you know, you can queue up the stretchy pants song. Cause I, think <laughs> I have that it Adam ready. Holtz, I have it ready. Adam Holtz would not mind that. Um, the, 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 the chip and dip buffet is one we have not talked about yet. Um, also, I just learned, Paul, that apparently when you go through a car wash, our signal drops out. Hmm. According to Kim, yeah, she's going to have to re-listen to the show because she missed a portion of it because she was going through a car wash this morning, which I'm glad you're going to have a clean car, Kim. That's awesome. Uh, It's a good reminder, though, that you can re-listen to the show and you can share the show with someone else. You can do that at the Faith Radio app. You can also do that online at MyFaithRadio.com. And I would really appreciate if you would sign up to join us in reading through the Gospel of Luke starting on December the 1st. So if you go to MyFaithRadio.com, we're going to, there's a place there for you to join us as we are reading through the Gospel of Luke uh, starting December the 1st. Our colleague and friend, Angela Smith, has, is, is making, has made, is in the process of making, will make. There's going to be a podcast uh, conversation that goes with each and every day. There's already a downloadable study guide. You're going to get a little email, a little nudge. Um, we're all going to be doing it. Don't you want to do it with us? Hundreds of people have already signed up, and so uh, you should join us. It's going to be really fun. The Gospel of Luke, starting December the 1st. So there you go, MyFaithRadio.com. I want to give a little shout out uh, to some people in Fergus Falls. I don't exactly know where Fergus Falls is. Can you what? give me some geography on that, Paul? Yeah, Fergus Falls is east of the Fargo-Moorhead area on 94. Beautiful community. Okay, would it surprise you that there's farmers there? Uh, not at all. I used to live mm-hmm. up in the Red River Valley, and yes, there's plenty of farmers around there. So this is a shout out to some farmers who live in Fergus Falls who um, were engaged in uh, an outreach in Afghanistan, teaching people um, farming techniques. Wow. And they have now been successfully uh, in-migrating, welcoming those farm families from Afghanistan uh, into their community. 
And so I just wanted to give a little shout out to that. And I just wanted to say, you know, hats off. Well done. Um, They're describing this as, you know what, these people are our family. Um, And so there's a growing community uh, in Fergus Falls of Afghan. um, I don't think that I'm going to call them refugees. I'm going to call them transplants. And so, um, you know, chances are that we're going to be able to get some good um, food in the Red River Valley that we might not have been able to get before. I'm just saying, like, right, they're going to be making stuff that other people aren't going to be making on Thanksgiving. That's that's all I have to say about that. So I just want to say hats off. Who, However you form a family around a table um, and give thanks, it, that is good. That is good. I love the way God knits us together um, as people and the way he does that, not only right here at home, but around the world. So hats off uh, to uh, to those farm families that are welcoming Afghan transplants into the community in Fergus Falls. All right, Adam Holtz is going to join me next. We're going to ask him all of the requisite Thanksgiving questions, but we're also going to ask um, some questions about what, what are some things that we could be watching this weekend. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Before we bring Adam Holtz on, I just have to say, I totally love you guys. Okay, this is inspired. I love the series of pictures that are included um, in this text line post of how I could successfully transport multiple pies in my car. Um, Mary from Connecticut has not only sent me the instructions, she sent me the pictures. So apparently I can use my cake transporter thing, you know, that's got like, it, it, it all hooks together, right? It's got a base and it's got the thing over the top, but it's big. It's tall. And so she says, well, you put the first pie in. You put a springform pan around the first pie to make your second layer. You put a put a rubber jar gripper under them so they don't slide around. It's just inspired. It's so inspired. Thank you so much, Mary. I'm totally 100% doing that. That means I can carry two pies in one cake transport thing couple of transport things, four pies. I got a plan. I got a plan and I got pictures. All right. Adam Holtz, pictures are worth a thousand words and you are the picture guy. Welcome back. Carmen, great to be here this morning. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. All right. You guys can find Adam at Focus on the Family's Plugged In. That's PluggedIn.com. One of the things you're going to find there is a review of Encanto, which I think starts tonight. Yes, it does start tonight. So uh, shall I tell you about it? Please. This is maybe my surprise. Uh, one of my favorite movies of the year. This will end up wow. on our best our best of list for the year. So here's why. If you just watch the trailer, you're like, okay, it has something to do with you know a cute Disney heroine and magic, and and they're singing. Okay, great. Excuse me. I've got a little bit of a cough this morning. Um, So this is about a magical family, the magical family that live in a magical house. It sounds like the kind of story I would tell my kids when they were little. Um, And when each person in the family comes of age, there's a magical candle that grants them an ability 
to serve a magical ability, and they use that ability to serve their broader community. So there's a really great community message here for starters, and we'll circle back to the magic thing in a minute. Well, young Mirabelle doesn't get a gift, and it's kind of scandalous that uh, she is a giftless madrigal when everybody else has stuff like super hearing and super strength. I mean, they're kind of like superpowers. So she really does her very best to make the best of it. And then it, it becomes clear it's a heavy burden. She has a cousin who's about to get his gift. And everybody remembers the last time the gift was given and she didn't get one. Everybody's kind of holding their breath. Um, and she begins to come to terms with her disappointment. In the midst of that, the magic of the house begins to fade and cracks appear. She is the only one who sees it, but nobody believes her. They think she's just trying to get attention because she doesn't have a magical gift. Uh, and chaos ensues. Well, it turns out that Mirabelle begins talking to each family member and learning about the secret burden they have carried because everybody identifies them, each person, with their magical gift. And that's about it. And they're all carrying secretly these incredibly heavy burdens. So I thought, man, this movie has more themes for adults than it does for kids. I think kids will enjoy it. As I mentioned, there's a lot of magic. There are a couple kind of creepy scenes. There's one scene that involves a magic ritual with somebody doing a circle, uh, you know, drawing a circle. I'm like, ah, we didn't need to go that far. That was the only part of the movie that I really thought, ugh, I wish they hadn't done that uh, because it sort of pushes the whole incantation thing to the next level. But this is a movie about people pleasing, about keeping secrets, about forgiveness, about why we don't tell the truth in families. Like it's family dynamics 101. You could teach a psychology class on this movie. So huge, huge amounts of conversation starters with this one. And I had no idea. I mean, I was – so pleasantly surprised, which, as you know, doesn't happen very often in my job. So I will stop there and Kanto a lot going for it. <clears throat> All right. That sounds absolutely delightful. Tonight is a big go to the movies night for a lot of yep. people um, in their families. And this is a big go to the movies weekend. Um, Star Trek Prodigy, I see on here. Wheel of Time, yeah. which is an Amazon Prime one. Um, let's uh, let's talk about those. Yeah, let's start with Wheel of Time, um, only because this is uh, one of, if you're not deep into fantasy, this is uh, probably in the top 10 series of all time, the Wheel of Time series, which starts with a book called The Great Hunt. It was written by a guy named Robert Jordan. He died while writing it. I mean, it's uh, it's kind of crazy. Uh, the series, I believe, is 15 books, and they're all around mm. 1,000 pages. So. Mm. It is epic. I read the first seven and a half and about halfway through the seventh or eighth book. I'm like, I just don't care anymore. Uh, but it is about a prophecy of an ancient evil coming to life again and a uh, sort of priestess-ish character who has to go find who is going to be reincarnated as uh, a character known as the dragon to defeat the dark one. Um, and so <clears throat> we get, you know, your typical duality of good versus evil in a magical context. Uh, you also get a lot of stuff that some of it sounds like Christianity, some of it sounds like Islam, some of it sounds like Buddhism and Hinduism. I mean, it's a real mishmash 
of, of spiritual ideas and spiritual traditions. What people need to know if they have read this is that as often happens, it seems like with premium streaming services and cable these days, they've imported a bunch of sex and nasty stuff into this that wasn't in the books. So they have definitely pushed it into, you know, TVMA territory, even though that wasn't, that wasn't happening in the book. And so mm. there was enough spiritual stuff to begin with, but now you get, you know, all of that stuff too, because they're clearly trying to compete with say game of Thrones. And I would say it probably splits the difference between Lord of the Rings and game of Thrones. It's kind of right in between those two. All right. So um, let's take a brief break. And then when we come back, let's, um, Let's pivot and talk about Star Trek Prodigy coming out um, from Paramount. We are talking with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. before Thanksgiving, so we probably do need to find our stretchy pants. Um, Adam, yesterday we had a listener who suggested, you know, today is the day that we turn back not our clocks, but our scales. <clears throat> turn oh, back I your like scales. That. Yeah, turn back your scales a few pounds, and uh, you won't feel nearly as bad about what's going to happen this weekend. Kathy texted in during the break. She says, we went to Encanto last night with eight of our grandkids. It was a very fast-moving, very cute, very colorful film. I'm so grateful for the synopsis Adam just gave this morning because I didn't really get it. And so now um, I will. I know more, and I'll go again. And she can also have conversations with her grandkids about it. So that's really fantastic. That um, Let's see. Carol also reminding us um, of the Fathom event, the Chosen movie, which is uh, yes, going to be in theaters. Next week. Yeah, that starts next week, but not too early, I guess, to go grab your tickets. So that's um, true. if you that's guys true. just Google chosen, the chosen and the word movie, it'll all pop yeah. up. There you go. It will so all pop that's kind of, yeah. Kinda hey, cool. Carmen. All right. Can yeah. I circle back for one detail on the Wheel of Time? I, 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 had I feel the like the wrong. Wheel of Time, I feel like the Wheel it's... of Time conversation is one that should circle back. So go right ahead. Exactly. Exactly. Hey, I like that. I wasn't even thinking that. Uh, it is rated TV 16 plus. So it's not quite mm. M rated. Uh, but I wanted to make sure we got that detail right, lest I misrepresent uh, the content here. Not family friendly. Not family friendly, but maybe not in, quite in Game of Thrones territory. Mm. Okay. So uh, let's see. One more. One more. One more uh, review today. Star Trek Prodigy. Star Trek Prodigy is a new animated Star Trek series that um, actually does something a little bit surprising. It's streaming on uh, Paramount Plus and airing on Nickelodeon. Um, it is about a, a, a group of um, oppressed prisoners of different races 700,000 light years, excuse me, 70,000 light years from the Federation of Planets. So sort of, in other words, in Star Trek parlance, they're off the grid. Uh, and uh, they find an old um, abandoned starship called the USS Protostar uh, and try to escape. Uh, so that is the, the basic setup. There is some mystery to be unraveled. Here's what's unusual. Star Trek has tended in recent years more and more in that mature direction. Uh, they have continued to add all kinds of content with each iteration. This one is aimed at kids, and they don't do that. So 
there's no sex. There's not graphic violence. There's no language. So as Star Trek uh, entries go, this is really probably the best one in a long time, just in terms of, of the content that uh, youngsters will be exposed to or not. Now, they may get into the whole franchise, and then that becomes a bigger conversation. Uh, obviously, Star Trek spans 50 or 60 yeah. years now. So lots to talk about there, but uh, not too bad. Not too bad. All right. I am noting um, on PluggedIn.com that you have a blog posted, uh, Social Media's Connection to Boys Eating Disorders. What's going on here, Adam? Well, when we talk about social media, we also we often talk about it primarily as influencing tween and teen girls with regard to body image in a negative way. Uh, obviously, the comparison issue is huge there. And we know that boys have all sorts of issues with media uh, and with screens. We often talk about video games with boys. but So there's some gender stereotyping going on there. And uh, this article in the Wall Street Journal that I wrote about talks about a smaller percentage, but a growing percentage of boys are also exhibiting eating disorders and body image problems because of similar comparison due to uh, due to social media. And so even as we sort of make generalizations about how the genders interact with technology and entertainment, we've got to keep in mind that sometimes we may make a generalization about one gender that's true of the other one as well. So social media for uh, a smaller but a real and growing percentage of tween and teen boys is contributing to things like anorexia and bulimia uh, as they try to compete with the images of of guys that they see on social media. So not just an issue for girls, and that was kind of the point of my blog. All right, um, Adam, Thanksgiving, um, two Thanksgiving thoughts. We need to know a side dish or a pie, and we need to know something you're thankful for. So I have been tapped with the uh, amazing responsibility of making mashed potatoes this year because everybody <laughs> loves my mashed potatoes. Okay, oh, here's my secret? secret. Yeah, I'm going to tell you. Um, don't don't tell me that it's just flakes out of a box because I just no my whole no world it is gonna... it is okay. it is flakes no. out of a box. No, no, stay with me, stay with me, and to show you that there is nothing that a suitable application of every form of fat can't solve. Um, I take that, I put it, I make it in water and half and half, which is the boiling. And then I add, um, to taste enormous amounts of sour cream, butter, and salt. So, I mean, it's, it's really kind of a heart, a heart stopping version of mashed potatoes, but I'm telling you what people think that I have created something masterful. <laughs> and my, my mother-in-law asked me what the recipe is. And I said, I can't tell you. Not because it's a secret, but because I just keep adding fat until it tastes right. So there you go. And and there's shame. There will be shame. I don't know. I don't I don't I don't know. No, there's 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 no shame. They taste fantastic. I mean <laughs> in this case the ends justify the means. Okay. Oh my goodness. So, okay. No shame. I'm gonna no have shame. to test okay, we're gonna have to get together at some point and I'm gonna have to test this because I'm telling you, Carmen, I they're I don't know. They're pretty good mashed potatoes <clears throat> now. Are they as good as your grandma's made with real potatoes? Probably not. But I mean, but, I'm, but not she's your, no I'm not your here. grandma. And she's not your grandma. These are the I'm not your grandma mashed potatoes by Adam. Exactly. Holmes. Thank you, brother. I love that. You there bet. you go.
Thank you. you. That's Adam Holtz. You can find him at FocusOnTheFamiliesPluggedIn.com. Yes, I am not advocating for anything that he said. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be right back. All right. uh, Thanks to the reminder from those of you who um, are fans of The Chosen. That is a great um, a, a great, family-friendly, wonderful, edifying, now two seasons worth of uh, shows to watch. Um, so you might want to put that on your weekend or holiday calendar for your family. Again, the um, the Chosen movie is coming out in theaters, and so you might want to check that out as well. Thank you to the reminder from Jeff of the 2003 movie, The Gospel of John. Um, it's available uh, on Amazon Prime, so on Prime Video. So might be a way to engage that as well. You can also actually just watch it on YouTube. So there's all kinds of great stuff out there, and uh, we want you to be mindful of that as well. All right, so I want you to think back to um, your favorite Mitch album book. Maybe it was Tuesdays with Maury. Maybe it was The Five People We Meet in Heaven. Maybe it was Have a Little Faith. Um, maybe it was the timekeeper, the next person you meet in heaven, the first phone call from heaven. What what was it? What was your favorite? What has been your favorite Mitch album book to this point? Well, he's going to join us next, and we're going to actually talk about two books he's got out available right now. One intensely personal, his personal story, the story of their family, Finding Chica, A Little Girl, An Earthquake, and the Making of a Family. We're also going to talk with his now with him about his now New York Times number one bestseller, The Stranger in the Lifeboat. Mitch Album is up next. This is Max Lucado. In the story of Esther, the law to kill the Jews was irrevocable. The king could not reverse the law, so he wrote a second one to amend the first one. Esther 8 and verse 11 says the king granted the Jews who were in each city the right to assemble and defend their lives. And on the very day the Jews were destined to die, they killed 75,000 men in the king's provinces. The terror was defanged, and Mordecai became the new prime minister of Persia. Perhaps the struggles of life have pilfered the life out of your life, and you don't know where to turn. If that is you, I urge you, with every ounce of energy I can muster, I urge you, don't give in to despair. You just can't give up. There is too much at stake. This is Max Locato. Mitch Album is a best-selling author, screenwriter, playwright, nationally syndicated columnist, the author of five consecutive number one New York Times bestsellers, 40 million copies of his books, including um, Tuesdays with Maury, which was my introduction to Mitch Album, which feels like quite a long time ago. Um, Mitch, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hi, Carmen. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to range around in a conversation with you today, not only about your two books, The Stranger in the Lifeboat, which is a novel, and then Finding Chica, which is certainly not a novel. Um, 
And then I want to ask you some questions, some what if questions. Is that okay? Sure. Absolutely. Awesome. So let's start with um, the novel, because I think that for many people who are familiar with your writing, um, this feels like not only a, a, a wow, super intriguing, but also, yeah, this feels this feels like you. This feels like uh, something I would mm. expect you to a story I might expect you to tell me. So tell me enough of the story to intrigue me. But obviously, we're not going to tell everybody the whole story. All right. So it begins with this luxury yacht owned by one of the richest people in the world. And he invites all these rich, famous celebrities on it for a week-long cruise. And they're out of the waters off of Africa. And the night before they're supposed to come back, there's a mysterious explosion. The boat blows up and everybody's killed except 10 people, five of whom are guests, rich guests on the boat, and five of whom are staff, workers. And they manage to get into this lifeboat. And they're floating around in the middle of the ocean with nobody coming for them for three days. And they don't see any planes, any boats. They're running out of food and water. There's sharks being sighted. Of course, they're crying out for help in their own ways. And then suddenly they see this body floating in the water and they pull it into the boat. And it's this young guy. He's very nondescript, average looking guy. And they start peppering him with questions. He doesn't say anything. And finally, one of the passengers says, well, thank the Lord we found you. And he whispers, I am the Lord. And it sort of takes off from there. And that's 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 your 30 second movie tease. And of course, they don't believe him. That. Yeah, they don't believe him because he doesn't look like the Lord. He doesn't act like the Lord. And he's skinny and he's he's uh, hungry and he's thirsty. And and uh, they say to him, well, if you're the Lord, what are you doing here? He says, haven't you been calling me? I came because you called me. And they say, all right, so you're supposed to save us. And he says, well, I can only save you if everybody in the boat believes I am who I say I am at the same time. And of course, that seems highly unlikely with these 10. And it's what happens in the days that follow out there in, at sea as things get worse and worse. Um, it's, it, it is, it feels the classic. Uh, for those who have read your writing, I think this feels like it's brand new. It's a great, intriguing, like, I can't wait to get to the end. Um, but it's also, it feels familiar. It feels it feels like you. It feels like a, an ongoing conversation we've been having with you since Tuesdays with Maury. Um, can we go back there for a moment? What do you feel like you learned in those conversations now more than 20 years ago? Well, pretty much everything, Carmen. I mean, uh, you know, I had been on one sort of trajectory of my life at that age. I was 37 when I encountered my old professor who was dying from Lou Gehrig's disease. And I hadn't stayed in touch with him since college, even though we were extremely close in college. I mean, I took every class he offered. I majored in sociology, which was what he, he taught. I used to eat lunches with him and walk around campus with him. But I was so into my own career and my own ambition that I just kind of forgot about everything that mattered and just worked and worked and worked. And then at 37, I happened to flip on the TV and I saw him uh, talking to Ted Koppel about what it was like to die from Lou Gehrig's disease. He was on the Nightline program. And that's how I found out that he was sick and only had months left to live. So I went to start visiting him. What turned I was thinking I would only be a one-time visit, but I ended up going back again and again and again. I ended up going every Tuesday for all the Tuesdays he had left in his life. And really, you asked what I learned, but I learned everything. I mean, I learned what really matters in life when you really know you're going to die. Not the theoretical, I know I'm going to die one day, but the I'm going to die soon. And Maury was able to say to me, this matters. 
this doesn't really matter. You think this matters, but when you get to where I am and you will get to where I am, uh, it's not going to matter. And so I had just a life education. Uh, and then as if to cement that, I decided to write a book to help him pay his medical bills. That was the only reason that Tuesdays with Maury was written. And yeah. I went around New York trying to find a publisher and everybody said, no, not interested, boring, depressing. You know, you're a sports writer. What do you know about it? And I would have would have given up, honestly, Carmen, if it was just for me. Uh, but because it was for someone else, I kind of pushed harder. And I learned something right there that when we do things for other people, we have a different kind of motivation than when we just do them for ourselves. And I was able to find a publisher a few weeks before Maury died and was able to get enough money to give to him to pay his medical bills off so that he didn't have to die in debt. And that was really the whole goal of Tuesdays with Maury. It wasn't supposed to be a well-known book in any way. Uh, and when it came out, they only printed 20,000 copies for the whole world. And that's not a lot. I thought I'd have them in the trunk of my car for the rest of my life, you know, and I'd be giving them out to people at the holidays. But um, somehow it found a chord and it started to sell and sell and sell and reach more people, more people and tra get translated and go around the world. And now it's it's the most uh, the most popular memoir of all time. And when that happens, you know, people who start talking to you who used to say, hey, who's going to win the Super Bowl? And you would say, hey, the Patriots. And you would keep walking away. Now they would say to me, uh, hey, my mother died of cancer. And the last thing we did was read your book together. Can I talk to you mm -hmm. about her? And obviously you can't say patriots and keep walking. You know, you have to stop. And so my life came to a screeching halt. And I started to hear the stories of so many people who were suffering or who losing people, who had lost someone, uh, all the things that Maury touched upon. And my life became much more about that. And you'll notice that I stopped writing sports books after that. And all my books since then have been, you know, more about, you know, what's important in life and, and you know how we can find hope and inspiration in life in one way or another and i try to do that through my stories and you do it exceptionally well um mitch let's take a very brief break when we come when we come back um i really want to spend the rest of the time that we have together talking about your daughter um and her story and how um really how it feels like she's your muse so the next conversation is going to be about finding Chica, a little girl, an earthquake, and the making of a family. Our conversation partner today is Mitch Album. We'll be right back. A couple of decades ago, Mitch Album wrote um, what is now the world's most popular memoir about his professor. That book is Tuesdays with Maury. He returns with another memoir of a very different kind, um, Finding Chica, A Little Girl, An Earthquake, and the Making of a Family. Let me read you just a couple of sentences. I remember times when you and I were walking and without prompting, you reached out and took my hand, your little fingers sliding into mine. I would like to tell you how that felt, Chica, but it's too big for words. I can only say that it made me feel like a father. And nearly all of what I learned about that role, I learned from the man who raised me. And the rest, I learned from you. Mitch, tell us um, about finding Chica. Well, Chica, I operate an orphanage in Haiti. I have since the earthquake. 
of 2010. I'm there every month. Um, and Chica was born three days before the earthquake of 2010. She survived it when she was three days old, despite the fact that her little shack collapsed around her and her mother. She became an orphan two years later when her mother died giving birth to a baby brother. And she was brought to our orphanage. And she was, for three years, the loudest, pushiest, bossiest, funniest, uh, youngest kid that we had there. And then at five years old, she developed a brain tumor uh, that nobody in Haiti could help with. We brought her to America thinking that American medicine would fix her and we'd get her back to the kids in no time. And she never went home. Uh, she had something called DIPG, which is a four-letter word for death. And they told us that she would be dead in four months. But I didn't believe that because she was such a, a fighter all the time. And so we decided to fight with her and adopted her and she became our, our little girl. And for two years, we traveled around the world trying to find a cure. And while we ultimately didn't find a cure for that tumor, we did find something else, which was a family, uh, which for my wife and I, who were in our mid fifties at the time, um, and had never had kids of our own, that was a pretty remarkable finding. You and your wife operate um, a number of charities, including uh, a very unique one um, in, in Detroit, uh, 24-hour medical clinic for homeless children. It's really extraordinary. I'm, um, I'm reaching back to the conversation that we had about, you know, things that you feel like you learned um, mm-hmm. in your conversations with Maury on those Tuesdays. This doing for others um, has really become a pattern of your life, this extending of blessings. Um, you write beautifully. Chica is with you in ways that I think when people read this, they're going to find really extraordinary. Um, and some people will find unbelievable. So can you can you talk about that thin line between belief and unbelief or belief and skepticism and your openness to, you know, frankly, frankly, the miraculous and the weird? Well, I'm open to both, by the way. <laughs> the miraculous I know. and the weird. It comes uh, partly through. Partly because I, I see so much of each uh, in my life. Uh, you know, when you run an orphanage every month of your life, you see miraculous and weird every day. But, um, you know, I think with, with Chica, with the book Finding Chica, you know, I, I wrote it after she passed away. And I wrote it in pain you know, uh, right after she died. Uh, and it was a way of trying to kind of deal with that pain. And I knew that people might have a hard time reading about a, a child who ultimately dies at the end, even though she's so funny and she's always saying all these, you know, crazy things. And so right from the very first page, you know that she dies at the end of, of the story, but she's come back to visit me. And she's sitting at my foot at the chair where I'm talking to you right now in my office, where she always would hang around while I was writing. And uh, she says, well, if you're going to write something, why don't you write about me? Why don't you write a book about me? And so the whole book is me sort of talking to her about that. And it's a way of sort of working through my my grief uh, of losing her was to sort of tell her everything that she meant to me. And it, it sort of connects. I, I say I wrote that book in pain. The Stranger in the Lifeboat, which came out two years later, is, is out now, just came out. That was sort of my healing book. And they are kind of connected. There's a moment in The Stranger in the Lifeboat where one of the characters in the lifeboat just starts crying and, and asks this God character, why did, in this case, he calls it his wife. He's, why did my wife have to die? But I mean, it's really the proverbial question. Why does anybody have to die that we love? And of course, it's me sort of asking God, 
why did Chica have to die? And the response that comes back is, I know that you always say here on earth, why did you take my loved one? You know, God, why did you take my loved one? Maybe a better question would be, why did you give them to us? What do we do to deserve their sweetness, their love, the great memories we had? Uh, and he goes on to say, you know, uh, I know that when you lose someone, you cry for them here on earth, but I can assure you they're not crying. And mm -hmm. for me, you know, that was, I was writing that for me and Chica as much as I was for the readers of The Stranger in the Life book. That was sort of the end, interestingly enough, of, of finding Chica. It ended in The Stranger in the Life book when I was finally able after four years to not be angry with God uh, for taking her, but to understand that I was blessed to have her at all, you know, for the, for the years that we had her. What did I do to deserve that in my 50s, to suddenly be blessed with this beautiful little girl as a daughter? And when you look at it that way, you know, it's a little bit more from a gratitude point of view and, and a little bit more comforting than just to be angry at losing someone. I have a million more questions, um, but we probably only have time for one more conversation. Um, you see a lot of kids in a lot of need, um, and you guys are mm -hmm. doing a lot. I mean, you really are. You're pressing yourselves into um, some challenges here uh, in the United States, um, but also around the world. Um, and I don't want to ask the question of why this one, but maybe the question of, like, how, how do you resist bringing everyone home? How do you resist that? The children? Well, yeah. it, the decision is made for me. Uh, Haiti will not let you take children out of the country. And mm -hmm. so uh, it's, it's very, uh, sorry about that. Uh, right. It's very, um, that's actually Haiti calling me, believe it or not. Uh, Haiti will not, will not allow uh, that to happen. And so we have to get extraordinary permission just to get a kid out for medical uh, reasons or anything like mm -hmm. that. And so um, I couldn't if I wanted to. Believe me, there are many, we have 53 children that we raised. There. I just got back last night and, mm -hmm. uh, from my monthly visit, and uh, I would have taken every one of them uh, if possible. Haiti is an extremely dangerous place right now uh, and, and volatile, uh, but I can't, and so I have to go there. Uh, and besides, it's their country, and uh, you know, our goal is not to turn them into Americans. Our goal is to mm -hmm. is to raise them in a way that they can make Haiti a better place. And all of our kids will go will have college education. We have four already or here right now and they get educated uh, in college in the States. But they understand that after that's over, they go back home and they work for two years at the orphanage to give back to where they were raised. And then they go into the Haitian society to try to make their country. I always say to them, you got to put us out of business. You know, Amen. your goal is to put charities like, you know, put orphanages like us out of business because, you know, we we have enough of a future here in America. We're extremely blessed. Uh, but I'm hoping that our kids can make life better for other kids like themselves in Haiti. I love that. I love uh, I love that spirit. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for continuing to write even when it's hard and when it's difficult. Thank you for writing about things that matter Thank you for doing things that matter. Thank you to you and your wife for making such an extraordinary difference in the life of one child, in the life of so many kids, um, and ultimately then in the life of the world. Um, Mitch Album, thank you so much for joining us this morning on Mornings with Carmen. I really enjoyed it, Carmen. Thank you, and happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Happy Thanksgiving to you as well. We'll be right back. All right, 
I'm recommending them both. Strain, the Stranger in the Lifeboat, Finding Chica. Um, yeah. If you don't have any reading planned already, there's some for this weekend. Um, we are almost out of time, and I just want to say thanksgiving to God again for each and every one of you to ask God's travel mercies and blessings uh, on our table fellowship in the coming days. We're going to um, air some pre-recorded segments during the next couple of days. We will be here, but we won't be here, here. You know how that works. So uh, we'll gather right back here together live on Monday morning between now and then. Be assured of my prayers for you, uh, my concern for you. I am confident of your prayers and concern for me and my family as well. Let's specifically be praying for people who are going to have an empty chair at this year's um, Thanksgiving table. Let us Make Christ known in the breaking of the bread. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.